This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, September 20th. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, law enforcement searches for armed suspect. Regional governments coordinate med center bailout. Listening Club takes a trip to Africa, Brazil. And a mountain weather forecast. Law enforcement are still searching for an armed suspect that sent Telluride into lockdown on Tuesday night. At approximately 7 o'clock last night, our department received a call of a uh, road rage incident that occurred on Colorado Avenue. In that incident, the, uh, the suspect in question followed our victims to their residence, which was off uh, in the area of Davis and Galena. Telluride Chief Marshal Josh Compt. Once they got there, he exited his vehicle, um, brandished a firearm. Uh, towards them, made some threats, um, and then fled on foot in the area. Comp notes Telluride Marshals, Mountain Village Police, and San Miguel County Sheriff deputies all responded to the call, setting up a perimeter to try and contain the subject. As more more patrol officers came in, we shored up the, the perimeter as best we could. A shelter in place was issued to the residents in that area. And then we began began a uh, systematic search, um, working from east to west, starting on Townsend and then clearing everything within our perimeter area towards uh, Davis and the school. Comp notes placing the neighborhood on lockdown was due to the nature of the threat. The shelter in place go was issue because once we get a perimeter established, we don't want people coming out of their houses. We don't want people, you know, in and out of our perimeter area. We want to kind of control what's going on there in case, you know, our suspect leaves in, a, in another vehicle, tries to go out on foot. So it's just safe for everybody involved to kind of just stay in their house at that point, And then we can kind of do what we need to do in that uh, in that perimeter area to ensure everyone's safety. According to Compt, the search was made more complicated by the fact that a bus full of high school volleyball players was on its way back to town after a game. Those students were redirected to Carhenge. Um, Deputy Moody met them out there and helped with reunification with all the students and their parents at that scene. In addition, law enforcement found an unlocked door at the school. So we had a team of officers go through and systematically searched the entire school last night to make sure it was clear and safe for all of our students and staff to return this morning, which it was. Telluride marshals used drones to search the neighborhood and hillsides for heat signatures to no avail. We searched areas, we searched yards, we searched under cars, through cars. We searched the hillside with with, with the FLIR drones and, and did everything we could to ensure that that neighborhood where he was last seen was safe. Um, even after we cleared, we started receiving calls from people saying like, hey, I'm, I'm out of town. Can you guys go and search my house? So it, it followed up that we, we continued to search residences at homeowners' request to just ensure that the suspect hadn't gone and hid somewhere else and making sure that they felt comfortable coming home. Um, knowing that we had been in the area searching. Despite the fact that law enforcement did not find the suspect, officials lifted the shelter-in-place order at 10.40 p.m. Compt says they have identified the suspect and the investigation is ongoing. He adds there is no active threat to the public. We've increased our patrols throughout town. Like I said, we we know who the suspect is and the investigation is ongoing. We're not prepared to release his name or even a description at this point. We don't have any reason to believe that he's currently in in town at this point, um, but we do have extra patrols that are out there. All the surrounding agencies that were on the call last night are also aware of who this subject is, so they're also on the lookout for him as well. Comp says they don't want to identify the subject and jeopardize the investigation. We still have our victims to contact and speak with, and if there's additional witnesses, we want to be able to show them, um, you know, maybe a photo lineup or photo array and not have 
their opinions influenced on picking the person out. So there's a lot of steps that we need to take early on to ensure that we do have a good investigation and a good case that when we present it to the district attorney's office, um, you know, it's not going to come back that it was someone was unduly influenced by what they heard on the radio or what was sent out on a message. While Compt acknowledges a best case scenario is apprehending the suspect, he says the response on Tuesday went well. The response that we had from all of our surrounding agencies, um, I mean, we had officers that were off duty that were listening to the radio that came in from all over the county to assist. And the the interoperability that you have between Tyler Marshall's office, Mountain Village Police Department, and the San Miguel Sheriff's office should be reassuring to know that if there ever was a, a significant critical incident, um, it's, it's opportunities that we had last night to work together and, and continue to build those relationships, which will be a huge factor in making sure that we have successful outcomes in any sort of future critical incident. And Compt is confident they will catch the suspect. It's a matter of time. Anyone with information on the incident or suspect are asked to call 970-249-9110. Tips can be left anonymously. The Telluride Medical Center came forward last month with the news that it was approaching a financial crisis and without an immediate bailout would have to shutter its doors this October. Since that revelation, the Med Center's leadership has visited area governments to ask for emergency funding to make payroll and stay open. Those governments have agreed to step forward and help, but the logistics of how that funding will come into place remains up in the air. This was the topic of conversation at a meeting of the San Miguel Board of County Commissioners this week. Manager Mike Bordonia says all the entities involved are now coordinating amongst themselves. We want to make sure that we're not presenting the med center with uh, a situation where there's different conditions for each local government trying to make this fairly uniform. The town of Mountain Village and the town of Telluride have each pledged $650,000, while the county commissioners previously pledged $500,000. Bordonia does the math and notes the total doesn't quite add up to the hospital district's original request of area government's for a total of $2 million. At, at this point, it appears that um, there could be the potential from the local government of, of a $1.8 million contribution. And the request had been made at $2 million. And I was curious if that uh, $200,000 shortfall, what impact that may have. Chair of the Hospital District Board, Paul Reich, was in attendance at the meeting. He notes the $1.8 million may be enough, as the hospital district is pursuing private philanthropic donations. Reich adds it has also hired what is basically a new billing company. And this is a little bit inside baseball terminology, but a new revenue cycle management firm has been hired. Um, there's a transition period, but they have moved up their actual um, uh, start to October 1. And we're really optimistic that that's going to result in... Um, in improved billing and, and uh, reimbursement um, for patient visits. Past the immediate bailout needs, the Med Center is asking voters to pass a property tax increase on the ballot this fall, which would open a funding source early next year. The medical center situation appears slightly less dire than it did in August, but Reich notes they are still anxiously awaiting an agreement from the three governments. Once the three governments align on um, on methods and, and requirements uh, that we will be able to, and again, assuming the, the ballot measure passes, uh, we'll be able to get to the March and the first payments from the 
from the county. Reich notes the medical center spoke with the town of Telluride last week and communicated the urgency of the ask. And we did ask kind of the same time frame, um, mid, mid-October, mid to late October. Um, we start getting into November, it, it starts getting a little little dicey, but uh, so I don't know, I don't have an update as to where they're at in the process other than they're doing what you're doing, working through it. The quote-unquote working through it will continue with almost weekly discussions amongst the county commissioners and staff going forward. The county hopes to have a final agreement coordinated with other area governments by mid-October. The Wilkinson Public Library's Listening Club is back next week after a summer season hiatus. The Listening Club is like a book club, but for albums. Ralph Barney will lead the September club with his work of choice, Georges Ben's 1976 album, Africa, Brazil. KOTO News spoke with Barney about his selection. This album is very heavily influenced by African music uh, or Afro-Brazilian music. So kind of like music that was derived from African sources. If you look at George Ben's music, this album in particular is very uh, different from his earlier work. It's electric. He's electric guitars for the first time. It's very funky. It's like electric samba funk. It just... It just sounds amazing. song called Taj Mahal. This is actually a reworking of an earlier acoustic version of the song uh, that he released on an earlier album. I prefer the earlier version. Uh, I like that song a lot. It's also significant because... um, (laughs) The song, the melody for the song was stolen by, uh, by uh, a British musician for a song that he did later on. And he got sued and he lost. And he eventually uh, acknowledged unconscious plagiarism. There, there's a very distinctive Brazilian sound. It's called a cuano, you pronounce it a cuica, C-U-I-C-A. It's a drum, but it's a squeaking kind of sound, and when people hear it, they associate that with Brazilian music. That, that comes up a lot on this record. Um, it doesn't sound like a drum at all. It sounds like a person with a squeaky voice. <laughs> it's... very invigorating, I guess, uh, listening, to, listening to some of the, uh, the songs. Um, yeah, I feel, when I listen to it, I feel kind of like it lifts my mood. I feel invigorated. I feel upbeat. Um, I feel like ready to go, ready to do something. It's stimulating, I suppose. Cavalero do Cavalho Immaculado, 
which stands for, or translates as Knight of the Immaculate Horse. That's very different. It's a really high BPM kind of, kind of sound, and it's about uh, an escaped, or my interpretation, it's about an escaped African slave who fought against his oppressors and was a hero in Brazilian folklore. I think the music is still relevant. Um, it, it's, it's very funky. Uh, and a lot of the themes are to do with... He was very heavily influenced by the, uh, the, by the black power movement that evolved in the US in the late 60s, early 70s. You know, people like um, James Brown, Sly and Family Stone, who were like asserting their... asserting their African heritage, I suppose, showing pride in their in their roots. This this record talks about that. So I think that's a universal theme that's always going to be important. That plus just the strength of the music uh, are reasons why uh, it should continue to be heard. Yeah, I'll listen to it every now and again. Then I'll then I won't play it, and it'll be a few years, and I'll hear it again. And each time I kind of hear something new, I guess it always sounds fresh. I suppose every time I hear it, and each time I hear it, I kind of maybe hear something new. And then this exercise, where I've gone away and I've really studied the lyrics and learned a lot more about what his way of thinking was, what he was trying to say with the record, I've learned from that as well. So it's I'm continually learning from it. It's, it's always got something new to offer me. Ralph Barney will lead the September Listening Club on Africa Brazil on Monday, September 25th from 6 to 7 p.m. at the Wilkinson Public Library. More information is available at telluridelibrary.org. Hoping to stay healthy this season? Updating your immunizations could be your best shot. With the latest COVID vaccines slated to arrive in late September, San Miguel County Public Health is opening its registration for this season's flu and COVID booster clinics. Both vaccines are free and will be available from late September through November, with vaccine clinics held at the public health offices on Main Street in Telluride and in Norwood at the Lone Cone Library. Learn more about the vaccines, when to get your shot, and how to register at bit.ly slash smc vaccines. Telluride closed out its festival season as the 29th annual Blues and Brews Festival brought the energy with headliners Bonnie Raitt, The Roots, and The Revivalists. This week, Telluride Parks and Recreation staff, law enforcement, and festival organizers met to debrief on the weekend. Blues and Brews was permitted to have a maximum capacity of 9,000 people per day, and each day was pre-sold out. However, when the final note was sung, each day reported under capacity. 
According to festival organizers, Friday saw the most music lovers, with 7,200 people. Saturday was next with 7,000, finally Sunday with attendance of 6,800. Even with a packed park, law enforcement reported a smooth festival. Over the weekend, there were a total of 108 calls for service, zero arrests, and half a dozen missing kids who were promptly returned to their parents. Emergency services also noted operations went smooth and the majority of care related to Advil, sunscreen, and earplugs. Members of Colorado's congressional delegation are calling on federal immigration authorities to release details about the death of a Nicaraguan man last year at an Aurora detention center. Asylum seeker Melvin Ariel Calero Mendoza died while in ICE custody after a foot injury went untreated. Senators Michael Bennett, John Hickenlooper, and U.S. Representative Jason Crow sent a letter to the agency last week. They want the findings from an investigation into the death released to the public. ICE failed to do so earlier this year in response to several requests under freedom of information laws. Wildlife officials in Colorado found an invasive species of crayfish in the upper Colorado River Basin this summer. KUNC's Alex Hager reports they're now focused on stopping further spread. It's called a rusty crayfish, named after reddish spots on its shell. It's native to the Ohio River Basin, and it can cause big trouble if it shows up in western waters. Colorado Parks and Wildlife Invasive Species Manager Robert Walters says they can eat smaller native fish and disturb their habitats. So unfortunately, once they become established, there is very limited potential for eradicating them. Uh, So really, the goal at this point is to make sure that they don't get spread into other locations. Walters says those efforts are extra important because Lake Granby, where the crayfish was found, is right next to the Colorado River. It's been more than a decade since the species was seen in Colorado and was only spotted one other time further south in the basin in a small wash near Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm Alex Hager. For months, fraudulent sober living homes have been targeting tribal communities across the western U.S., including the Navajo Nation and White Mountain Apache Tribe, coercing vulnerable people into coming to facilities in Phoenix. The group homes then billed Arizona's Medicaid program for treatments that were often never provided, while leaving those in their care in unsafe environments. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, Chris Clements of KSJD says victims' advocates have been relying on social media to connect Native American families with loved ones who've ended up living unhoused in Phoenix because of this scheme. It happened on a frozen winter day in December near Shiprock, New Mexico on the Navajo Nation. Michelle Jones, a Navajo citizen and resident of Farmington, says her brother's car broke down and he began hitchhiking, a common method of traveling across the nation's largest tribal reservation. After not too long, a black SUV pulled up next to her brother, who asked not to be identified in this story. We'll refer to him as Andrew. The people in the SUV rolled down the window and asked if he wanted a ride. He uh, got into the SUV, and um, I guess while he was in the SUV, he went to sleep, and he woke up woke up in Sholo, Arizona. And so he just went along and, and just had them keep driving, I guess. And he ended up in Phoenix, Arizona. And 
when he ended up in Phoenix, Arizona, he was there, was put in a home. Behavioral health group homes like the one Jones's brother was taken to have been accused by the FBI, the Navajo Nation Police Department, and the state of Arizona of scamming the state's Medicaid agency as part of this process, which some say amounts to human trafficking. For months after he disappeared, Jones says she only sporadically heard from Andrew, who was originally from Blanding, Utah. I called Shabrock Police Station and um, they said, okay, we we have found the address of where he is and we'll get back with you. So I kept on calling a police station for about a week or so and I didn't hear from, from them after that. And so I just start searching on my own online of um, where he was and the place that I call, the home that I call, they told me that he wasn't there anymore. It was just from home to home. In the next three months, Joan says Andrew didn't reach out. She and her brother's parents became increasingly worried. I came across a, a webpage with uh, Reva Stewart. Her webpage was to help these homeless people on the streets. And she, I had posted on there, you know, I'm looking for my brother. Um, if you find him and... She actually reached out to me and said, uh, you know, let, show me what he looks like. The website Jones mentioned is a Facebook page run by victims advocate Reva Stewart, a member of the Navajo Nation who works to help Native American people like Andrew return home from the Phoenix area. Stewart's full-time job is at Drumbeat Indian Arts in downtown Phoenix, a Native American goods store. In her spare time, she helps lead the activist group Stolen People, Stolen Benefits in assisting Native relatives who've been kicked out of these homes and who are now living on the streets. Stewart became aware of fake sober living homes after her cousin was taken from New Mexico to a facility in Phoenix. So the first thing I'd always ask is what, you know, do you have a picture? What's his full name, date of birth, so we can, you know, check the system, and then that's where we start. But even with that information, Stewart couldn't find any trace of where Andrew had ended up. So we do outreach like every other day. And it was really hot. I think it was like 116 or 118 that day. So we said, we're going to go out to Levine and um, do outreach out there because that's where a majority of these sober living homes are in that area. Stewart and others in her group hand out cold Gatorade and sandwiches to unhoused people they come across, including any Native American people. And then there's one area down there. It's like a little um, culvert. It's like a grassy area right in front of the restaurants. And we were told there's usually Natives there. We've checked a couple of times. Um, the first time we did uh, see people, second time, not so many. Um, but in that area, that, the day that we found, he was lying there. And I just started running over there because he was lying down. But we didn't know if he was okay. And then she's like, oh, well, your sister's looking for you. And I can't, I want to get some help for you. What do you want to do? And he said, oh, well, I want to come home. I want to go home. So he, Reva, uh, spoke and said, well, I can get you a bus ticket to come home. And and he was so happy after he, he heard that he can come home again. So he was, ex um, I can hear them in the background and started to cry. And I was crying on the phone because I can hear his voice and everybody in the background was crying. And but at the same time, we were so happy because his sister was just like, she was just crying because she was so happy. And so I said, we're going to get him on the bus. They bought Andrew a bus ticket to Gallup, where Jones and her parents were waiting for him. 
I asked him, what about the homes? And he said, well, they're all shut. They're shutting down those homes. We had no place to go. In May, Governor of Arizona Katie Hobbs announced the state would crack down on these fraudulent facilities in coordination with the Navajo Nation, which launched an operation to return Navajo citizens from Phoenix to their communities. Operation Rainbow Bridge consists of a team of Navajo Nation police officers who have been searching the city for displaced Navajo people who might need a way to get home. However, for many families, informal networks like Stewart's Facebook page have yielded the quickest results. Since many of these fraudulent sober living facilities are now being shut down, Stewart says she's noticed an increase in the number of unsheltered Native American people living on the streets of Phoenix who have needed bus fare to return home. We are going to see more people, more of our relatives that are going to be unsheltered, and we still have our GoFundMe. We exhausted that. We've exhausted our, um, our supplies for outreach. We literally exhausted that. So we're completely out. All we can do right now is hand out water and utilize 211 option 7. Stewart says she and her group have arranged transportation for tribal citizens caught up in this system from as far as the Blackfeet Nation in Montana and the Ute Mountain Ute Tribe in southwest Colorado. These days, most of the people she encounters are Navajo Nation or White Mountain Apache tribal members. She says that despite the government's crackdown, she still sees recruiters cruising the streets of Phoenix looking for unhoused Native people. It is still happening. I'm actively, I can go outside and talk to some um, unsheltered relatives. I always tell them, if you're close to Drumby, come inside, get some water. So they come, you know, let me know they're, um, they need water. So I'll go walk outside with them, talk to them, ask if they're doing okay. And as we were standing outside, a car pulls up in the middle of the median between uh, the store and um, PIMC in the median and starts gesturing to them do you guys want to go with me? And I looked at him. And I was like, are you serious? And I wasn't nice about it. I was like, are you serious? For Stewart, who's been an advocate on this issue for months, regular run-ins like this are confounding. Why are we still here? Why are we still seeing so many of our people being recruited? So many of our people still dying in these homes. So many of, and then you get their obituary and it says, um, Oh, it was an accidental death. You know, you are in a sober living home. How is it accidental that you overdosed on alcohol or fentanyl? In the meantime, Stewart continues to raise questions about predatory sober living homes in the Phoenix area and the various official responses to the crisis. For KSJD, I'm Chris Clements. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for a chance of showers tonight with otherwise cloudy skies and a low near 40 degrees. Thursday should bring sunny skies and breezy conditions with a high near 60 and a slight chance of showers midday. Thursday night should be clear with a low in the mid-30s. Friday, expect sunny skies and a high near 60, followed by a partly cloudy night with a low near 40. This has been the news for Wednesday, September 20th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, personal commentaries. Hello, Town of Telluride community. We are here to invite you to the Telluride Association of Realtors upcoming event, as we'll be hosting a candidates forum focusing on candidates for Telluride's town council and mayor. The public is welcome to attend and participate. Please join us on Wednesday, September 27th, starting at 6 p.m., being held at the Elks Lodge, located at 472 West Pacific Avenue, Telluride. We'll be also providing snacks and non-alcoholic beverages. We hope to see you there. Thank you.
September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, four weeks devoted to shining light on a topic often kept in the dark. It is something that will affect all of us throughout our lives, if it hasn't already. Maybe you know someone who has died by suicide. Maybe you've thought about it yourself. These days, it would almost be unheard of to not have had some experience with suicide. It is at school and at work. It is close to home. And it is preventable. It is possible to heal from it. Community and connection will always be twin beacons of light in even the darkest of times. Join Tri-County Health Network this Sunday, September 24th, beginning at 9 a.m. in the town park as we come together to walk for hope. Gather with neighbors and friends, learn about the amazing work organizations and individuals in our town are doing towards suicide prevention, and remind yourself of the hope that is all around us. We hope to see you there. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.